Let's turn together to Luke 23. Over the course of the seven Sundays of Lent, I'll be speaking, um, going through the last uh, statements of Jesus' life before his death. Um, conveniently, there are seven of them. So, uh, we'll start today in Luke 23 with the first thing that he says. And so, to kind of uh, jump into the moment a little bit, uh, Jesus has uh, lived and ministered for the last, uh, you know, he was 30 when he began his public ministry, about three years uh, of preaching and teaching and healing and blessing and keeping. And um, then uh, you have Holy Week, so there's Palm Sunday, he rides in on the donkey. Everyone goes crazy and they think he's going to be the, the military uh, leader who will restore Israel to former glory. And um, they were right that he was going to lead them into something. It just wasn't that. Uh, so that's Palm Sunday. He, he teaches in the synagogue and all in Jerusalem uh, for a couple of days. Thursday night, he spends uh, with his disciples in the upper room and he gives them uh, a new meal, what we have here. He gives them a new commandment which is to love uh, one another as he has loved them. Uh, they go from there into uh, to the garden to pray, and uh, he brings himself before the Father in this beautiful, terrible, but beautiful way. It's just it's awful, but it's just ama- this amazing time of prayer. Um, then he is arrested, he's tried, he is found guilty, although he was innocent. Um, he was uh, taken and... Uh, beaten just short of death, and then forced to carry his cross uh, to be crucified. So verse 32 says this, Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription over him. Said, so "This is the King of the Jews." Okay, so here we have a scene of incredible injustice. Uh, you have someone who is uh, truly innocent that is being brutally abused right next to those who are actually guilty. Um, it's a terrible scene, and in verse thirty-four. Jesus says, uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Okay? Now that phrase, that the end of that, they know not what they do, that's that's not Jesus trying to excuse what is happening. He's not giving them a pass, you know. But he he is acknowledging something in the moment of of there's a there's a lack of full understanding of what is happening right now, you know. Um 
they, whoever they are, are infected with this, like, this pride disease. They don't, they don't fully understand what's happening because they're so self-absorbed. They just don't even know what's happening in the moment. And so it kind of begs the question, who, who is the they? Uh, it's a terrible sentence. Um, but like when he says, Father, for, forgive them. That's what I should say. Who's the them? Who's them? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Is he talking about the criminals on his right and his left? Is he talking about the the soldiers who are um, who are essentially like gambling in order to try to win his garments because they think they can make some money off of it? Is it the crowd who's scoffing him and like making fun of him? Is he? Is it the disciples who were being cowards in the moment, denying that they knew him? Is it is it Judas who betrayed him? Is it is it the rulers who? Uh, opted to go with what the crowd wanted instead of what was actually right. Um, is it you? You know, is it me? I, I think it's all. I think it's all inclusive. Father, forgive them. Sometimes I love it when the Bible is not specific because it allows us to find ourselves in the story. And so is he speaking in the moment to what's happening? Yes. Do those words echo into eternity? Yes. Do they speak of us? Yes. In this moment, we see something really important about God. You know, So Jesus is fully God. And so anything that Jesus does or says or anything about him, that's showing us the heart and the character of God. We see that when it comes to God in this moment, working with all the information, he makes a choice to forgive. It's part of what he's saying is that Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know. They're not working with all the information. But Father, Son, Spirit working with all the information. And what is what what do you do with that kind of knowledge? Our God forgives. And so I want to do a, a, a deep dive into the subject of forgiveness, a topic that warrants an entire series. And if that's something you'd like, that, that's interesting to you, then like you just need to let me know that because that's very helpful. Um, but I'm going to try in one, one sermon to get us all on the same page about forgiveness, if, if we can possibly do that. I'm not really sure. Uh, but we have to start there. I have to start at what is happening in this moment. Paul tells us in Romans 5, verse 8, he says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That working with all the information, working with, with everything about them in this scenario, he still makes a choice. So if you would turn to, turn to Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to like... Try to do like a little bit of a like, um, like a micro a micro sermon if I can. Is that a thing? Uh, you wish it was a thing. Um, stay with me uh, on forgiveness itself, and then kind of explore the like the vertical aspects of that and the horizontal aspects of that if we can. So go to Matthew eighteen. <clears throat> when I say the word forgiveness, there are probably certain things that come in, into your mind. There are certain things that come into my mind. Because 
We, excuse me, we have been taught and mistaught about this our whole lives. Because uh, right now, in this moment, and at the moment that we're reading about on the cross, there, there are two kingdoms coexisting. Okay, So there's, there's a kingdom of the world, and there's a kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom of the world, that is this world system that all of us broken people got together and like figured out. Like we, This is sort of the, the status quo of the world around us. Um, <clears throat> that's why we have uh, some really great things in our world. Uh, because we all bear the image of God, and that comes out, you know. So, right now we're watching this war happen on in like live. It's being live streamed. We've never seen a war live streamed before, and there's some really beautiful things happening in 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 response to the war. Uh, that's kingdom of the world stuff because we're made in the image of God, and that comes shining through sometimes. It's also where like war comes from, you know. It's this this like power grab that we're watching happen right now. That also comes from the kingdom of, of, of the world because uh, power and money and all that kind of stuff is like, it just, it craves. And so in the kingdom of the world that's, that's out there right now, <clears throat> the idea of forgiveness kind of, kind of takes, kind of takes two paths. Let's say one path is an, is what I'll call an active path. The other is a passive path. The active path is uh, when I'm hurt, um, my response is to like hurt you back. So you hit me, I hit you back, but harder. Uh, you say something, you say something bad about me, I say something worse about you. Uh, it's retaliation. It's 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 like it's those those kinds of things of like like oh oh you're gonna badmouth me at work. I'm about to burn your life down. Like that kind of, that kind of stuff. Like it's. Um, it's very, it's aggressive, it's negative, it's active in that kind of way. I'm going to make you pay for it. The other path is what we tend to think of maybe with forgiveness in the kingdom of the world. That when I'm hurt, I'm supposed to forgive you, which is code for just let, just let it go. Just get over it. It ain't worth it. He ain't worth it. She ain't worth it. Whatever it may be. Forgive and what? Forget. And so when we're hurt, if if the kingdom of the world tells us, well, you can either do this, you can either hurt them back, or you can just like suck it up and get over it. Um, forgiveness takes on this real like weakness, doesn't it? Forgiveness sounds like okay, so I just have to like um, they get to get away with it, and I have to do the suffering. And then there's like this like false nobility that comes comes along sometimes in the kingdom of the world of like oh I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the high road. But the thing is, both of those pathways are horribly flawed, and they both just lead to more pain, and more sin, and more death. So if I take the active road and I'm gonna hit you back harder, that just brings more suffering. If I'm going to take the passive road and just try to internalize it and never process it, then I just experience more and more pain. And so the kingdom of the world kind of operates in that. And that's what we're told. There, are, there. Some of you were advised by your parents growing up to handle things one way or the other. 
by influential people in your life. Like sometimes you just get that advice sometimes from your friends or from your spouse or from your pastor or from whomever. Uh, and that's the kingdom of the world giving you your options. And so Jesus shows up and over and over again, we see him saying this as he's teaching. He says, well, you've been taught this, but what I tell you is this. What that means is the kingdom of the world that you live in, like life lessons, life has taught you that this is the status quo and these are your two options. But what I'm here to tell you, there's actually another way. And the way that Jesus brings to the table is the way of forgiveness. Inside the kingdom of God is this thing called forgiveness. So you're in Matthew 18. There's a parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant. I don't have time to read it. I would love to, but that's more of a serious thing than a one-off sermon kind of thing. Let me just summarize part of the parable for you. This guy gets into a significant debt. Like modern, modern money, like upwards of like a trillion dollars kind of debt. Like a huge debt. And he can't pay it. And so the master comes to you know, like make good on the debt. And he's like, do you have the money? And the guy's like, no, I don't. It says this, and uh, if you look at verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Just said, tell you what, you're totally free of this. The debt is Forgiven. That's the word he uses on purpose. In this parable, Jesus is teaching us something about forgiveness, but we struggle to understand it in relational terms because it's it's so foreign in the world that we live in. Especially here and this time, like he's bringing the kingdom of God. This is all brand new stuff to them, and so he's like, "I know you don't understand relational forgiveness, but let's talk about financial forgiveness." And I'll connect the dots. That's what he's that's what he's doing. So forgiveness is about choosing to absorb a debt that you could collect. Like the master of the servant, he could have collected the trillion dollar debt, but he chose to absorb it himself. He chose to pay the debt. So in teaching us about forgiveness in general, notice that Jesus at no point uh, says to pretend the debt isn't there. Um. So in terms of forgiveness, no part of forgiveness means that we should ever try to pretend like the pain we feel when we, when we are hurt like doesn't exist. You know, that's, we should never try to dismiss that or sweep it under the rug. We should never tell another person, like, oh, it's just not really that big a deal. You know, you just you got to get over it. You know, you just got to get over it. There's so much bad advice out there. And no, at no point did you just say to pretend it isn't there. The debt is there. And somebody does pay it in the parable. Who pays the debt in the parable? The master chooses to pay the debt. So if tomorrow your bank calls you, if you get this call, let me know your bank because I need to change banks. If your bank calls you and is like, hey, you know that car loan? We're going to just, we're going to like forgive the debt. We'll send, we'll mail you the title. If that were to happen, it would not be a, a case where nobody has to pay for the car. It's that the bank would make a choice. Rather than to make you pay for the car, they're going to pay for the car. But somebody's paying the debt. They're just choosing to absorb the debt themselves. That that's what forgiveness is. Someone is going to pay the debt. It's just 
a matter of, I'm not going to make you pay for what you did to me. I'm not going to make that person, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to make them pay it. I'm going to pay it. But not in the, like, I'm going to go sit in the corner and, like, just let the, let the, the pain, like, grow and swell and turn into some sort of big wound. Not that kind of way either. But the baseline of forgiveness is that there is an indebtedness that's created. When, when, when someone hurts me, there, there is an emotional pain debt that happens. And I can either collect it from them or I can ask God to help me absorb it. And that's what Jesus is saying. is like, hey, you don't have to hit back and hit harder. You also don't, I don't have to just like get over it and pretend like it didn't happen. There's a, there's a new way. It's this thing called forgiveness. And that adage of like forget and forgive and forget, you know where that comes from, right? Like it's, it's because in the kingdom of the world, there's no possible way that we think we can forgive someone unless we forget what they did. Like in order to forgive, I have to forget. There's no way I can remember everything and still forgive this person. And Jesus is going like, actually, uh, forgiveness is all about remembering it. It's it's filled with with remember. In in Hebrews ten, uh, the writer of Hebrews is referencing Jeremiah thirty one, where God's talking about the new covenant. Let me read this to you. It's a sixteen through eighteen in Hebrews ten. So this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there's forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. Well, how, verse 17, how does I will remember their sins and deeds no more? How does God forget? Can God be God and have like memory loss? Can he be like, I just don't really remember that thing that you did. And you're like, well, I certainly remember it. No, God, God never forgets. He's incapable of that. And when you go back and you, you study the original, like in Jeremiah 31, that Hebrew language, it, it isn't, it's just a, it's a, one of those weird, like Hebrew to Hebrew to English things that doesn't really come across super well. It actually means like, I'm, I'm not going to hold your sins against you. It isn't about memory. God's saying, you know, all that stuff that you've done that I totally remember more than you remember it. Um, I'm going to, working with all the information, I'm going to choose to forgive you in that. But that is a part of the covenant that we have said yes to, is this covenant where God says, hey, I'm not going to make you pay for what you've done. I'm going to pay for it. It's not because I forget. It's not because I've tucked it into a part of, of my mind that I can't access. Like, no, 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 fully remembering, I'm making a choice. Just like Jesus on the cross, hanging there, says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but we know what we're doing. Forgiveness is just an incredible, incredible thing. So, now that I've perfectly explained it, and I think you see why, like, yeah, this could definitely be a series or a book or a series of books, um, it's a big topic, but 
that would kind of have maybe maybe the bones of kind of understanding it a little bit. Let me talk in terms of like vertical and horizontal application of some of this so that we can really grasp the full spectrum of how incredible this is. Um, so in terms of vertical forgiveness, like God forgiving you, God forgiving me, our sin has created a debt. There is an indebtedness that we have because we have chosen our own path. We have looked at God and said, I don't think that you can do as good of a job as I can. Uh, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I don't think you know joy or beauty or uh, what's important in life. Or I don't think you really know how things work. I know how things work. I grew up in the kingdom of the world. I got street smarts. I understand things. I'm going to do it my way. When you, when you say that to the holy righteous one with your life, there's this, there's an indebtedness that's created there. And we are born, we are born with, with this infection. And so in Romans 6 23, Paul says it this way. So he says, the wages of sin is death. And I grew up hearing that verse. I was a Southern Baptist kid, memorized the Romans road uh, at, a, at a young age because we had to. Um, or actually, I think because we got treats or something if we did it or something like that. Uh, some reward-based thing. And so um, the wages of sin is death. So it's like if you, know, if you go to work and you do your work, you get a paycheck. You know, I get that. So the wages of my sin is I have to die. Like, oh, I always, always struggle with that. And I still struggle with the wording of it and the understanding of it. And I want to just, all my whole life, I hope I just continue to learn. But something that was helpful for me was to, Stop thinking of it as God being angry. And to start thinking of it as God being holy. That was very helpful for me. Because I kind of grew up, and I told the first service this, and and like my thinking was like God was like God the Father, super angry about our sin. And he's like got this like paintball gun. And he's just like like a sniper. Like just like, oh, you did that? Death. Did that? Death. Death, 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 death. Just wrath, you know, that whole thing. But the good news was that Jesus was like super good at diving in front of the paintballs, you know. That was kind of my understanding of the gospel is like, well, you're, you're a filthy, worthless sinner and God's going to like smoke you with his wrath unless Jesus jumps in front of the paintball, which he's super good at doing. And I was like, oh, that's good enough for me, you know. Until I got got older and older and older and realized, like, that didn't seem like the character of, of God very much, does it? But instead of thinking of God as wrathful and angry and all that kind of stuff, which I don't know that anyone ever, like, sat me down and explained it that way, but that's just kind of, like, what I picked up on. I was like, no, he... God is this holy, loving God. And because he is holy... Anything that is unholy and is like just gets destroyed the way that light destroys darkness. And so here's God with all these people made in his image who are bearing that sin. What, what happens when those come together? Well, it's destruction. That that's what happens with sin is there is there. It brings death. And so, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit made a plan to where their sons and their daughters could could be with them 
by making the sons and daughters holy and he is holy and now we can all be together as a family. Like that's, and that has helped me so much because it's almost like the, I, I read Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, and it's almost like I stopped there for some reason. But the back half of the verse, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. I was so obsessed with the front part that I was kind of missing the back part. Of yes, the indebtedness that I bring to the table because of my sin is to be like is is to be destroyed in the presence of the Holy One. However, the Holy One Himself has made a way for me to not be destroyed in His presence. Because He took my debt onto Himself and He absorbed the debt. So in the parable, who pays the debt? The master pays the debt. If your bank calls you, who pays who pays the car off? The bank does. In the gospel, Jesus comes to you and says, you have a debt that you cannot pay. If you trust me, see me as the one who loves you and has come to do this for you, you can transfer that debt to me. And so you walk in new life. I'll take your debt to the grave. I'll be raised from the grave. You, we live a new life together forever. It's, it's amazing. So our sin creates a debt. Jesus absorbs the debt, and we are forgiven. Like That's the good news. That is the gospel. At no point does anyone get a pass. At no point is our sin minimized. Like God never looks at us and be like, eh, it's really not a big deal. It's not a big deal. No, it's a huge deal. It's like a Jesus come to the earth and die for it Big kind of big deal. If you if you lint really well, I don't know if lint is a verb in that way, but if you lint really well and you roll through Holy Week and you feel that the heaviness begin to set in on Thursday and the weight of Good Friday, I think we understand a little bit more about exactly what like absorbing the pain of our sin like cost the Lord. Cost Jesus, it costs the, God the Spirit and God the Father, all, all of them. At no point does anyone get a pass, at no point is anything minimized. Ash Wednesday, we had service in here. The whole point of Ash Wednesday and the, the use of ashes. Uh, which we didn't we didn't put them on our foreheads. There there are some traditions that do that. We used them in another way, but it, ashes are, represent death in the Bible. And the idea is like yeah, I, like like when when people go to go to a church before work and their ashes go on their forehead and they go the whole day. They're walking around the world and they're essentially communicating like I I brought death to the world. Like Jesus is Jesus had to come and die. It's my fault. Like I own it. I'm a part of the whole thing. I'm not sitting here looking at this in the story at the soldiers and the crowd and all that being all judgy of them. Like how could they turn on Jesus? How could they say those things? How could how could they do that? Those terrible people. Jesus is like they don't they don't even know, but we know more than they did, don't we? There are times when I'm like, I don't think I'm really very different than the crowd.
And so the fact that all of my debt, my past debt, my debt in this moment, my future debt, that God's able to take all of that for anyone who says yes to him unto himself. It's an incredible thing. And that's what forgiveness does, is that true forgiveness brings life out of that whole thing. See, the kingdom of the world, when we're hurt, we, we, if we're active or we're passive, it just brings more pain and more sin. But real forgiveness, as Jesus shows us, actually produces life and change. That the whole point of the whole, that of the whole thing is, is so that death doesn't win. And so by following him into forgiveness, we are reminded that death does not have the last word. And so none of this is about, it's not about like pain management, you know. It's not like a, not like a life coach being like, here's how to live a like happier life. No, it's about God's heart coming to his children say, hey, I, I will forgive your death. I will heal you from this. But not, it doesn't just stop with you. It actually passes through you to other people. So there's, there's that vertical forgiveness, and then there's the horizontal forgiveness. You know? what a, it's, it's one thing for God to forgive us, but what about other people? What about when other people hurt you? What are we supposed to do with some of that? If you were to go into that same chapter in Matthew 18, that guy who was forgiven of a trillion-dollar debt, he had someone that owed him money, actually. It was only like a few thousand dollars. So he's forgiven of a trillion-dollar debt, runs out to find the guy who owes him a few thousand dollars, and starts to like harass him about paying him the money. And the master finds out about it, and in verse 33, you can look and see this. You should, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? He's like, hold on, you're going to be forgiven of a trillion dollar debt and you're going to hold this much smaller debt over someone else? Why would you withhold forgiveness after you have experienced it? It doesn't make any sense. Over and over again, the scriptures are clear to us. Like we are, we are a conduit of love and of grace. And when you think about what forgiveness is, like what a tangible way to bring that to the world by us learning how to forgive people who have hurt us and essentially just reenacting the gospel. So if someone has hurt me, then in that, in that scenario that I'm, I'm called to step into, I play the role of Jesus and that person plays the role of me or of humanity. And say, you have sinned against me and my prayer becomes, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive her. Father, help me to absorb the debt rather than to try to make him pay for what he did. Rather than trying to make her pay for what she did. That's what we're called to. That's what it means. We're just reenacting the gospel. We're just stepping into the character of Jesus toward other people. It says in that same chapter in 18 and another, not in the same parable, but it says, your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Jesus never says like, hey, if someone sins against you, just don't worry about it. Just pretend it didn't happen. He also doesn't say, like, you need to rain down fire upon them either. So if someone hurts you, you, you go t- you talk to them about it. Like, you be a grown-up about it. You reenact the gospel with them. 
And if they listen, then you've won your brother. What, is, what does that mean? Well, think, think about this. Someone hurts you, you go to them, you confront them in a, in a like, speak the truth in love kind of way. One, you end up pointing them to the grace of Jesus that's available to them. But two, you're also freed from debt. You're not carrying that emotional debt anymore. Someone's got to pay this because God is going to help you to know how to absorb that pain and how to deal with it. I wonder how much the gospel could be spreading through our world just through like a really strategic on purpose, like forgiveness initiative. It doesn't always have to be sharing the gospel walking through a tract of some sort, or even the Romans road, it maybe could be us just dealing with hurt the way that he tells us to deal with our hurt. And you may be wondering, well, what about what about abuse? What about extreme situations, that kind of stuff? Um, like I said earlier, remember, it's never about giving someone a pass for what they did to you. It's never about saying that was okay. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't think that. Jesus doesn't. There's at no point in there. That's a that's a worldly narrative. So it isn't about that. And also, there's a difference between forgiveness and like reconciling, restoration. Those are not all the same thing. There's a there, there's a process that you go through that you can forgive someone without necessarily having to be reconciled or restored to them. You don't have to be in relationship with that person. There's something like those those are ideals. Like that would be the ideal, right? There's forgiveness and then then there's like like reconciliation, and there's restoration. Like that's a that happens in many cases, but in really hard cases forgiveness like very much divine impossible. But reconciliation, restoration, those may just have to wait till the new earth, honestly. And that's okay. So if a party is wondering, like, well, I've had some pretty harsh things happen to me. I'm supposed to just jump back into that relationship. That's not that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is with God's help, Him absorbing their sin, and Him helping you absorb the pain. You walk through a healing process. We have a ministry called Mending the Soul that is here to help with that very thing. Um, you, you will need a guide through that process. You'll need a community through that process. There are counselors in town. There's all kinds of ways to deal with that. So if this is like bringing up some things for you, that's what our church staff is here to help with. So just reach out to us, and we'd be glad to sit down and talk more about what that may need to look like for you. Because I understand that forgiveness for some is bringing up like stuff. Regardless of what's happened, like forgiveness is a possibility for us because he's made it possible. Let me close with this last thing. There's vertical, God forgiving you. There's you forgiving other people. What about, what about it coming back your way? What about when you have been the one to hurt someone else? Um, in Matthew 5, Jesus says this, If you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Meaning, you did something to your brother. Like you were the you were the hurt. You're the hurter. Is that right? You're the one who caused the hurt. It says, leave your gift there before the altar, 
and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. So the Bible points to both scenarios. If you've been hurt, God will help you forgive. If you have been the one who's done the hurting, God is calling you to seek forgiveness from those that you have hurt. He knows that that's a difficult thing, so he's given us this beautiful discipline of confession. You read Psalm 32, Psalm 51. If you read Joseph's story, if you read a little bit more in Matthew 18, like he's constantly showing us, like, hey, it is good and healthy to, to go to someone and to own what you have done and to ask for forgiveness. And using that language is so specific. Like, you... You go to someone and it's not like, hey, my bad for this. Or like one of those really lame, not real apologies, like, I'm sorry that hurt your feelings. Like, oh, that's, oh, you just put it back on them. To go and say, I, I'd like to ask for your forgiveness. Like, use the language that God uses. Think about the power in that moment. I know I bring this up a good bit, and because I think it's a huge discipleship tool. Parents, you need to confess to your children when you mishandle something, and you need to ask for forgiveness from them. And use that language. And you are showing them the gospel. You're showing them humility. You're training them like this is this is how as kingdom of God people this is how we handle our stuff. Imagine the power of going to your child and say, "Hey, I know I kind of lost it earlier. Would you forgive me for that?" Some of you are thinking, well, "My dad never apologized to me." This proves my point, right? Ask any counselor who's ever sat down with anyone and you're sitting there unpacking things that happened to you when you were seven or eight years old. How do you still remember that as a full-grown adult? Because we remember everything. We carry all of it. Imagine what your kids will be able to do if they're carrying with them times when their dad, their mom, whoever, lost their temper, circled back, came to them, apologized to them, and asked for forgiveness. Imagine what that is doing in shaping our kids Imagine what that will do in shaping us as adults. And so forgiveness from the Lord to one another, from one another, these are the rhythms of kingdom of God people. And so I hope this morning that we can receive that from this first saying. I know I've said a lot of words. I know I've been talking for a while. This one just has a lot in it. And so what what do you take away from it? I hope that you take away... A desire, especially during Lent, to be quick to confess. I hope that you take away a desire to to begin to process the hurt that has come your way from others and ask God, what is that what is that healing, forgiving journey need to look like for me? But greater than those, I hope that every one of us has received the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. If you have not, then you can do that today. Like that that can be the highlight of your day. In life, Jesus is offering that to you. So during our response time, um, we're going to sing. <clears throat> you can pray. You can come down here and pray. You can come and receive communion. 
But I want to encourage you not to leave here. If you have some sort of like question about where you stand with the Lord, we'll, we'll hang around here all afternoon and talk about it. And so when we're done, come and find me and we'll talk some more. But whatever God is stirring in you, we just want to give you a few ways to respond. Now when it comes to the communion part, you're going to make your way to the aisle. You're going to come down here. Chris will be there. I'll be there. And you're going to circle around this way. We're going to do one of these. Take our time. We're not in a big rush. You don't have to come down here. Don't feel pressured or anything like that. But think of it as Jesus offering you his body and blood. Like, here's the grace that you need to forgive. Do you want it? Yeah. Um, let's stand together. Let me pray for us. God, in these next few moments, would you help us to have the humility and teachability to follow you in obedience? Forgiveness is one way that we deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow you. It's a way that you form us more and more into your image by us imitating what you have done. I know that our hearts are very drawn to things whenever we're talking about hurt and pain and that kind of stuff because we've all been on the giving and receiving end of that. But it all begins, Lord, with our understanding of what you have gone through in order to absorb our sin toward you. And so help us as we sing and pray and receive communion and just kind of like have this community moment of movement around the room and response. May we see the beauty and you holding out to us this offer of another way. We love you. We thank you. Pray this in your name. Amen. You can come whenever you're ready. Let's sing together.